The Justice Department is taking over defending President Trump against an alleged rape victim. The Oscars will have new diversity guidelines for best picture hopefuls. And Defense One reporter Katie Bo Williams is here to dish on how Trump's relationship with the military is these days. The date, September 9th, 2020. The time, news o'clock. Hey everyone, I'm Hayes Brown. And I'm Casey Rackham. Welcome to episode 100 of BuzzFeed's News O'Clock. 100 of these. Woohoo! <laughs> I sounded like a ghost. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> I'm sorry, everyone. That's that's what happens during episode 100. It's a spooky episode. <laughs> Uh, Before we dive into the news, I just want to take a second to point out that uh, it is absolutely wild that we're we're going to keep going, but the Kardashians are not. (laughs) No, Hayes, Hayes, did you know that those two things are directly correlated? They're like, what's news o'clock? It's episode one hundred. We're done. We're We're out. (laughs) We won't give them a chance to interview us. No, sir. We are going to take our things and go. I'm I am not surprised that they're wrapping up. It seemed like no one wanted to be on that show anymore. So definitely not. But it's still but it's still wild. It's still wild. You know, I grew up, uh, you know, watching with my sister in the very early season. So much has changed. I've not kept up with it. But I mean, it is wild. And I think it's just like I think they actually have a really low viewership and they really just became more of a news story. People would write up all the things that happened in the show, but didn't necessarily watch the show. Um, But still wild. This is definitely definitely uh, the end of something very long that's what I'm going to say. They gave us so much good and bad for the culture. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> yep. Good stopping point. Okay. It's time for today's top stories. Here's what you need to know. Clinical trials for one of the most promising potential coronavirus vaccines has been put on pause while they figure out what's wrong with one of the test subjects. The University of Oxford has been working with AstraZeneca to conduct late-stage tests of their possible vaccine around the world, trying it out on thousands of people as part of their phase three trials. Yesterday, they issued a statement saying that it was putting a hold on the test while they tried to figure out how a test subject had come down with an, quote, unexplained illness. While AstraZeneca hasn't confirmed what illness the subject came down with, the New York Times cited a source who said that the patient was diagnosed with transverse myelitis. That's an inflammatory syndrome that affects the spinal cord and is often sparked by viral infections. It's not clear, though, whether the illness has anything to do with the vaccine, but the company is now trying to find out. As scientists were quick to point out, though, this is exactly how clinical trials should work. If there's a problem, even just a potential one, you run the test to see if it's a weird fluke or an actual big deal. It's not clear yet, however, just when the trials will start back up. Meanwhile, the president knew how deadly the coronavirus was in February, even as he was promising that it would just go away. Watergate reporter Bob Woodward's new book, Rage, comes out on Tuesday. And ahead of that, he gave CNN the audio of some of the 18 interviews with President Trump he conducted for the book. That includes this clip from a February 7th conversation, where Trump seemed pretty aware of just how devastating coronavirus could be. You just breathe the air. That's how it's uh, passed. And so that's a very tricky one. That's a very delicate one. Uh, It's also more deadly than your... You know, you're even your strenuous flus. You know, people don't realize we lose 25,000, 30,000 people a year here. Who, who would ever think that, right? I know. It's I mean, much it's pretty forgotten. amazing. And uh, then I say, well, is that the same thing? For, this is uh, more press. deadly. This is five per, 
you know, this is 5% versus 1% and less than 1%, you know, so this is deadly stuff. That interview was days after a briefing where Trump was warned that the virus could pass asymptomatically and would be the biggest national security threat of his administration. And yet, a month later in March, Trump told Woodward that, yeah, I downplayed the virus. To be honest with you, sure, I want you. To I be. wanted to, uh, I wanted to always play it down. I still like playing it down. Yes, sir. because I don't want to create a panic. Compare that to what Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany said today at a briefing. The president never downplayed the virus. Once again, the president expressed calm. Uh, the president was serious about this when Democrats were pursuing their sham impeachment. Uh, he was expressing calm and he was taking early action and his actions are reflective of how seriously he took COVID. That choice is having an effect even now, six months later, as people around the U.S. continue to meet up without proper precautions. In fact, a new study suggests that a motorcycle rally in Sturgis, South Dakota, which drew almost a half million people to a town of 7,000, could have been responsible for more than 260,000 cases around the country. And finally, the Department of Justice moved to take over defending President Trump in a case where he's accused of rape. Author E. Jean Carroll accused the president in 2019 of raping her back in the 1990s and said she had a dress with his DNA to prove it. Trump, in true Trump fashion, said in his rebuttal of the accusations that she's, quote, not my type. Well, Carroll sued Donald Trump for defamation in a case that was slow moving, but had finally reached the evidence gathering portion of the trial, including potentially obtaining a DNA sample from the president, which is why it was double surprising to the DOJ has intervened, potentially setting the whole timeline back. The DOJ in its brief argued that because Carroll's accusation and Trump's response came while Trump was the sitting president, that his response was part of his duties as president. And since the DOJ defends federal employees who are sued for doing their job well, they just had to take the case. <laughs> they just had to. Yeah. Um, no. And hey, does this have anything to do with the fact that, like, I heard the campaign is just quickly hemorrhaging money? Yeah, uh, that's a theory that's out there. I, there has been like a one to one correlation, but it is very expensive to defend President Donald Trump from all the lawsuits against him. And according to The New York Times over the weekend, uh, they've been using campaign money to help do that. And uh, that kind of ex helps explain why, even though they had one point like a promised billion dollar war chest, they're like struggling to keep up with Joe Biden in terms of funding right now. They just blew through a ton of money. And I'm sure you had the same reaction, but my God, it's just tough and scary and horrifying listening, listening to that clip of Trump talking to Woodward and saying the word deadly so many times. I mean, right. he knew, he knew. And it's also wild. I feel like at the beginning of this, like March, April, um, there was a lot of people that were talking about like, Tons of, you know, thousands of people die from the flu. It's not it's not as bad as the flu, like whatever. And here's Trump saying it's worse than the flu. Right. So early on. And then it, it, the, trying to keep the timeline straight in your head is wild in terms of what he said publicly, because January, when there's like a case or whatever, he's like, no, that's fine. I'll go away. This February, like early February briefing where he's talking to Woodward, he says, no, it's super deadly. But if you look back publicly, then he's saying, no, absolutely not. It's fine. We're all going to be fine. Then eventually he gets around to saying like, oh, no, I knew it was going to be a deadly pandemic, like way before anyone else in like March. Week or two later, he's back saying, yeah, we're going to reopen by Easter. So there's been no consistency, even though I, I appreciate this for showing that he knew so early on. Kind of wish we'd gotten some news about it in February. 
mm-hmm. would have been nice. I know that also, he has not, books to sell. I'm not but... surprised that I'm also not surprised that he was like, I knew about it first. I feel like for everybody's like, oh yeah, I heard about first. I hear about everything first. I'm the first <laughs> people people go to. I uh, you know, I know it. I know it first. <laughs> uh, exactly. And that's why everyone when he said that it said that back in March, like, uh-huh, sure. Yeah. Turns out <laughs> for once. For once. All right, that's that's all I've got, Casey. What's going on <laughs> in the pop culture world? Well, first up, BuzzFeed News reported last night that TMZ's newsroom is allegedly full of racism, misogyny, and verbal abuse. BuzzFeed News spoke with 23 ex-employees and one current employee who said the culture of TMZ is that of, quote, unchecked abuse of power. Several of the former employees claimed that executive producers screamed, cursed, and degraded them on a regular basis, including one who said they felt physically threatened. One source said, quote, I got screamed at so often I felt like a scared dog. One former employee claimed the opinions of women weren't valued or taken as seriously as their male counterparts. In describing the blatant sexism she felt, she said, quote, what we had to say was never valued, and the men were always leading the conversation, even if it was about women's reproductive rights. She continued saying, I just felt like if you wanted to have success as a woman at the company, you had to work three times as hard as your male colleagues. Many of the former employees interviewed by BuzzFeed News have filed formal HR complaints or lawsuits ranging from gender discrimination to wrongful termination to sexual harassment. Former employees also pointed out that the TMZ office is located about 25 miles from the Warner Brothers lot in Burbank, which for years made it especially difficult to report their concerns to HR in person to their parent company. And in other news, if you want to win a Best Picture Oscar for the movie that you're getting ready to shoot, you'd better make really fucking sure it's a diverse film. The overwhelming whiteness of the Oscars has been on blast for the last decade at least, and in response, the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts, and Sciences announced a new set of guidelines yesterday that studios need to meet in order for a movie they put out to be eligible for Best Picture. To qualify, movies have to hit at least two out of four new standards. Two of them involve showing representation either on screen or behind the cameras. The others apply if studios offer new opportunities for underrepresented groups to break into the industry or show diversity among their marketing and publicity teams. But if you're expecting those standards to be in play at next year's Oscars, sorry, they don't kick in until the 2024 Oscar season. Better late than never, question mark? I I don't know. I don't get the 2024 move. They're like moving on an Olympic uh, time frame. I mean, the best excuse I could come up for them is that they want to make sure that if you're starting to like shoot your movie now, that by the time it's out, you can meet the standards. But I I don't know. I kind of feel like... I guess they didn't want to discriminate against the movies that are out this season or whatever. <laughs> you know, and it's also, you know, I'm sure there was going to be uh, some people, some backlash from that, from, you know, some haughty people who are like, well, I don't know, like, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, to those people, I'm like, hey, this doesn't say that the content you're making has to be abide by these things. It just has to be the people in it. So I feel like we're definitely going to see some more green book situations. So don't you worry, everyone. I want I want to talk about this was one of my favorite things that came out of um, everyone just remembering Chadwick Boson. And this was at last year's Oscars when Green Book won. There is video, there's footage of Chadwick turning to Michael B. Jordan and then both just exchanging this look of like, well, we knew it was going to happen. Told you so. It, it is it is searing and wonderful. And uh, oh, what a time. 
What a time. I'm curious, especially about that last point, the one that says like your marketing and publicity team, I think they phrased it as something like your audience uh, growth team or audience development team has to be diverse. On the one hand, yes, agree. On the other hand, is that kind of their gimme? They're kind of like, just like fill in the like option, like, okay, but if the studio does this, all of our movies, as long as we get, get one more guys, just one more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, I mean, there's definitely plenty of also just like loopholes and things that are going to be happening with all these rules. Um, It's definitely going to be interesting to see play out. All right. When we come back, we've got Defense One reporter Katie Bo Williams here to talk about Trump's military mishaps. Stick around. Fit. We're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com/slash 2022. I'm Jake Halpern, host of Deep Cover. Our new season is about a lawyer who helped the mob run Chicago. We controlled the courts. We controlled absolutely everything. He bribed judges and even helped a hitman walk free until one day when he started talking with the FBI and promised that he could take the mob down. I've spent the past year trying to figure out why he flipped and what he was really after. From my perspective, Bob was too good to be true. There's got to be something wrong with this. I wouldn't trust that guy. He looks like a little scumbag liar, stool pigeon. He looked like what he was, a rat. I can say with all certainty, I think he's a hero because he didn't have to do what he did, and he did it anyway. The moment I put the wire on the first time, my life was over. If it ever got out, they would kill me in a heartbeat. Listen to Deep Cover on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, guys? I'm Rashad Bilal. And I am Troy Millings, and we are the hosts of the Earn Your Leisure podcast, where we break down business models and examine the latest trends in finance. We hold court and have exclusive interviews with some of the biggest names in business, sport and entertainment, from DJ Khaled to Mark Cuban, Rick Ross, and Shaquille O'Neal. I mean, our alumni list is expansive. Listen in as our guests reveal their business models, hardships, and triumphs in their respective fields. The knowledge is in-depth, and the questions are always delivered from your standpoint. We want to know what you want to know. We talk to the legends of business, sports, and entertainment about how they got their start, and most importantly, how they make their money. Earn Your Leisure is a college business class mixed with pop culture. Want to learn about the real estate game? Unclear as how the stock market works? We got you. Interested in starting a trucking company or a vending machine business? Not really sure about how taxes or credit work? We got it all covered. The Earn Your Leisure podcast is available now. Listen to Earn Your Leisure on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. Last Thursday, The Atlantic published a bombshell report citing two former senior Trump administration officials who claimed that Trump called people who served in the military losers and suckers. And well, it definitely got the president mad as he spent the last week raging about it. To help us wade into this story and figure out what it means for Trump's relationship with the military, we're joined by Defense One reporter Katie Bo Williams. Good afternoon, Katie. Hi, Hayes. 
So let's start with the Atlantic story itself. Can you really quickly sum up what it accuses Trump of saying and doing? Yeah. So the the original Atlantic story has a couple of different allegations in there. Um, but essentially, the, the key one is that it has Trump on a trip to France not wanting to visit an American cemetery for American service members, uh, because as he apparently said to unnamed senior officials who were with him at the time, he didn't understand what was in it for them, as in the service members themselves who, who had been killed in combat. He expressed sentiments that suggested that being killed in action reflected badly on the service service members in question. He also raised similar questions, apparently standing near the grave of his former chief of staff and former Marine General John Kelly's son in Arlington Cemetery. Um, Kelly's son was was killed uh, was killed in combat in Iraq, um, and he expressed the same kind of sentiment standing there. What's in it for them? Why would they do this? He claimed that, uh, again, according to the reporting and according to the senior official, the unnamed senior officials who were speaking to the Atlantic, um, he claimed that uh, American service members who were killed in, in combat were, were suckers. And of course, these were sort of shocking, shocking things to to hear reported from the commander in chief. What we've heard also, though, is as some critics will point out, and and even some some sort of members of the military that I've spoken to that are um, you know not necessarily anti-Trump will say, you know, look, we've heard some of this from Trump in public before, so it's it's not necessarily shocking in the sense that you can believe that the words came out of his mouth if if for no other reason than you know in on the campaign trail we heard him denigrating John McCain as sort of not. Not actually being a war hero because I like people who weren't captured. Um, you know, we also heard him criticizing um, the the parents of uh, the Gold Star parents of of another U.S. military service member who was who was killed in action because that particular parent spoke out against him at the DNC convention in 2016. Do we have any sense of who the officials are that the Atlantic piece was citing? Well, you know, it's not really my place to speculate on who other journalists' sources are, um, so I'm, I'm not going to kind of go too far into that. But what I will say is that we, of course, do have some idea of of what officials were with Trump on this particular trip, and of course, John Kelly would have been one of them as the chief of staff. So there has been a tremendous amount of pressure on John Kelly to speak publicly one way or the other, to say, yes, I heard these things, this is what was said, or to, to rebut them, um, because obviously we've also heard from from several current and former Trump administration officials on the record who have vehemently denied that this whole story ever took place. Um, one of those is, is Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who was his press secretary at the time and would also have been on this trip and spending an enormous amount of time with the president then. And, and she's saying, no, this is, this is absolutely fabricated. Do we think that former officials like former Defense Secretary Jim Mattis or former Chief of Staff John Kelly will come forward to speak out on the record about this before the election? I mean, my suspicion, and this is just my sort of speculation, is that that if we haven't heard from them yet, I'm not sure that we're going to. There's also a real active debate about whether or not they even should speak. Um, you know, part of the controversy here kind of gets at something that um, academic experts in the military call the civilian-military divide, and that's this idea that the military is supposed to be completely apolitical. And so you'll hear a lot of former generals and, and sort of former military brass say, 
say, you know, look, it's not my role to wade into politics. Like I gave my best military advice when I was in uniform and now that I'm retired, you know, I'm still not going to kind of try to put the imprimatur of my military service on on my opinions. And and this is because in the United States, we have this strong tradition of civilian control of the military. You know, we have a civilian commander in chief in the president. Um, You know, there's other people that say on the other side of this coin, well, Mattis and Kelly, while both being former Marine generals, went on to serve in political, appointed political positions. Um, Mattis, obviously, is the Secretary of Defense, and Kelly is the Chief of Staff. And and so, therefore, any sort of, I don't want to use the word excuse, but, um, you know, any sort of justification that you had for not speaking, oh, because I'm a, you know, I'm a former general and I should keep politics out of the military, it was gone as soon as you took on that role. So, on Labor Day, the president held a press conference and in the course of talking about the Atlantic story, said this. I'm not saying the military is in love with me. The soldiers are. The top people in the Pentagon probably aren't because they want to do nothing but fight wars so that all of those wonderful companies that make the bombs and make the planes and make everything else stay happy. So what's the reaction been to that statement from the president? Well, my first reaction as a, as a journalist is that it was sort of ironic to hear President Trump warning about the dread military-industrial complex, um, a, a term obviously that we know originates from President Eisenhower's parting warning to the nation, um, primarily because Trump has been um, has has really liked the tool of arms sales. That's been a foreign policy lever, um, kind of in his in his toolbox that he has been particularly fond of during his presidency, and in, and in fact has actually gone to the mats um, with Congress to continue to be able to use. I'm, and I'm thinking right now of of Saudi Arabia. Um, you know that Congress at various points has tried to restrict Trump's ability to sell a variety of different lethal arms to Saudi Arabia for use in in its campaign in Yemen, which obviously has been a humanitarian disaster. And Trump has, um, you know, has really pushed back on those efforts in at one point vetoing legislation that would have curtailed his ability to do that. Um, The State Department has has made an emergency declaration so that they could continue those arms sales that Congress was was opposing, a a declaration that that I should add has subsequently become the subject of a State Department investigation. Um, So that's sort of, that was sort of my first spit take on it. It was that there was kind of a cognitive dissonance here, essentially, in, in hearing Trump raise concerns about this. Um, the other thing that that is, I think, sort of important to note is, is the question of, you know, what is this, what is all of this going to do for the support for Trump amongst active duty military? Um, and one thing, one piece of evidence that we have just in the last week is Military Times has put out a poll that shows Biden leading Trump by four points. Now, that might not sound like a huge spread, but it's really significant when you compare it to this point in the 2016 campaign. At this time in the election four years ago, Trump was leading Hillary Clinton amongst active duty service members by 20 points. So that's even if you account for um, the fact that Clinton and Biden are obviously not the same candidate and there was sort of some unusual um, unusual things surrounding Clinton, including obviously the email investigation and, and sort of her historic unpopularity amongst conservatives. Um, uh, that's a huge, huge and precipitous drop. Trump has been leaning heavily lately on the claim that he's been ending the endless wars and is less in favor of military action than Biden, especially as a counter to this story. Is that a fair point? 
It's certainly true that Trump has displayed a great deal of ambivalence for sort of foreign entanglements and has, as various points, sought to bring home troops from kind of different engagements overseas, both permanent stations as well as combat zones. I mean, we've seen, you know, um, you know, as we're sitting here um, recording this on Wednesday, we've just seen the announcement that Trump has announced the withdrawal of about 1,200 troops from Iraq, bringing us down to about 3,000 there. Um, obviously, we're, we're going down precipitously in Afghanistan stand as well. He's recently announced the removal of thousands of troops from Germany. That said, you know, at the same time that he is sort of up there um, boasting that he's ending the endless wars and bringing home troops from Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, he's also sent thousands of troops to the region to counter Iran, most of whom have, have gotten sent to Saudi Arabia and places like that where we're not actively engaged in a military conflict, but nevertheless has has sent troops to the Middle East, to the region with with the idea that, you know, they may be called upon to be in, in some kind of conflict in the future. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I would go so far as to call Trump a dove, but it is certainly true that he has displayed discomfort with um, with military force. The other thing, I, the other example that I would point you to is his reluctance to retaliate for particular Iranian provocations over the last few years that even some of his military advisors and some of his supporters were calling for immediate military action to. Um, Biden, not a dove either. Right. Uh, and, and in some ways, their foreign policy, particularly, I think, with, with what we're seeing in Afghanistan, is not terribly different. Um, you know, Trump has said we're still going to be able to maintain a certain counterterrorism presence in Afghanistan to sort of prevent um, the resurgence of, of ISIS or al-Qaeda in, that, in, in the insurgence of ISIS or the resurgence of al-Qaeda in that country. That's essentially the Biden plan. Right. Well, Katie, thank you so much for joining us, helping us unpack all of this. We really appreciate you taking the time. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. All right. We have time for one more thing. And Hayes, I need your help with something. Okay, sure. What do you got? (laughs) There's this post from Reddit's relationship advice subreddit, and it has been living in my brain for days now. So I'm going to explain it to you. And please just help me figure out if this is real or not. I, I make no promises, but sure, let's let's hear it. What what is this post? Okay, so for people who are unfamiliar with the subreddit, people post their problems and ask for advice. There's a lot of fake ones, but I just really want to believe this one that's allegedly written by a 36-year-old man is real. He says he and his wife were joking about hall passes and which celebrity they'd bang, and she says Jason Manzukis. <laughs> Like, wait, Jason Manzoukas, like Derek from The Good Place, Adrian Pimento mm-hmm. from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, mm-hmm. really hairy mm-hmm. dude, big eyes, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. chaotic energy galore. <laughs> yes. So the husband's like, uh, weird. Although personally, I'm like, uh, not weird. But apparently <laughs> Manzoukas and his wife went to the same college and she joked about how she'd totally go to a reunion just to hit it. The husband gets the idea to basically catfish his wife, saying he's Jason Manzoukas and that they've been paired up for some alumni mentorship program. It got flirty fast and he sent headless nudes of some random hairy guy and she sent nudes back. Oh, oh my God. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Right? Right? So now he's been doing this and feels weird and bad, but kind of wants to keep going since he and his wife aren't very sexually active. So he posts asking if he should just keep pretending to be a middle grade celebrity. 
I don't know if he should. <laughs> that seems like a bad idea to keep posting as if you were Jason Manzoukas just forever until one of you dies. I, I uh, really miss not having Steven here right now. So if we were to channel Steven, I think Steven would be like, nah. <laughs> like, you, you I, I should tell you your should wife. Do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although I don't I don't even know how you would go about doing that. That to me does seem like a really big betrayal because it's like, I feel like it makes you look kind of foolish, too. So I'd be like, right. I don't know, He's playing basically- with, yeah. He's basically cuckolding himself here. <laughs> so that's like a dynamic he wants to get into. He needs to talk with her about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know about this one at all. I, I do think it is just weird enough to be real, though. Right, exactly. Like, that's the thing where it's just like, it's so specific. And because it's not like an A-list celebrity, it's kind of just like, oh, okay, yeah, this checks out. Or, you know, it could be a very elaborate Reddit joke. E- Either way, <laughs> either way. I just I'm wondering, like, what happens when like some like People magazine or something writes about Jason Manzukis's new girlfriend? He's like, Jason Manzukis <laughs> is cheating on his girlfriend with me. And she starts telling people this shit like this is so oh much God. potential to blow up in his face that no, he has to tell her. <laughs> Okay, Casey, I hope that helped because that's it for today. Join us tomorrow for episode 101 of this entire dumpster fire that is 2020 covered by us, News O'Clock. <laughs> and remember, if your wife wants to sleep with Jason Manzukis, it's probably easier to just let her than catfish her. So just keep that in mind. Be sure to subscribe to News O'Clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to set your alarm so you never miss an episode of News O'Clock. You coming to bed, hon? Yep, honey, I'll be right there. Just got to turn out the light. Ow! Ow! Some things never change, like your kids always leaving tiny toys on the floor for you to step on, and Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Sweetie, I think I left the downstairs light on. Please don't make me go. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. What's up, guys? I'm Rashad Bilal. And I am Troy Millings, and we are the hosts of the Earn Your Leisure podcast, where we break down business models and examine the latest trends in finance. We hold court and have exclusive interviews with some of the biggest names in business, sport and entertainment, from DJ Khaled to Mark Cuban, Rick Ross, and Shaquille O'Neal. I mean, our alumni list is expansive. Listen in as our guests reveal their business models, hardships, and triumphs in their respective fields. The knowledge is in-depth, and the questions are always delivered from your standpoint. We want to know what you want to know. We talk to the legends of business, sports, and entertainment about how they got their start and most importantly, how they make their money. Earn Your Leisure is a college business class mixed with pop culture. Want to learn about the real estate game? Unclear as how the stock market works? We got you. Interested in starting a trucking company or a vending machine business? Not really sure about how taxes or credit work? We got it all covered. The Earn Your Leisure podcast is available now. Listen to Earn Your Leisure on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The NFL is back, and the NFL app has you covered. 
So get ready for football all season long and just tap into the NFL app. NFL, baby, let's make it happen. Just tap in to watch your local and primetime games all season. Now through Super Bowl 56. For the end zone, touchdown! Get up-to-the-minute news, videos, highlights, stats, and more on all your favorite teams and rookies to watch. Welcome to the NFL. Download to your mobile device today at NFL.com slash mobile or in your app store. Certain restrictions and data rates may apply.